0: Well, welcome to Grace Point. Uh, Hey, listen, I got a question for you. I want you to tell me what is your favorite love story? All right? Think about it for a moment. Your favorite love story. Is it the Romeo and Juliet story? Think about that. That's the classic love story. That's the one people go to. Maybe it's the easy go to, if you will. Um, But two people committing suicide at the end of a story doesn't sound very love uh like a, like a, like a love story in, in the end right so what what is your favorite love story so i did got on the interweb i don't know if you've heard about that thing it's out there uh and uh, did some uh googling that's another thing you can do on that interweb and uh i started asking the interweb what are some of the most popular love stories out there so you 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 see how well you know the 80s okay that's my gen okay Uh, when Harry met Sally, how many of y'all have seen this movie? All right. It's out there now. It's a fun story of, of two people falling in love that were kind of not even looking at each other, but they kind of turn and and they fall in in, in love with one another in some kind of unlikely manner, but it's, it's kind of a good movie in the nineties. That's uh, about, think about the nineties. What was the top love story in the nineties? Anybody want to guess? Come on. Titanic. Very good, Kevin. I heard that voice bold and proud out there. Titanic. Uh, that's right. You have these two people that are in two totally different socioeconomic settings in life. And you got the lower, you, you, you sneak on a ship or you, 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 know, you don't even fit in, 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 and then you got the upper and they kind of fall in love and it doesn't matter what. They're going to, they're going to be together even though parents don't like it, even though socioeconomic, it's not supposed to happen. And then the sink. The ship sinks, okay? So, uh, again, tragedy happens in love stories, right? Uh, Now, if you're in our house, though, it probably wouldn't be the Titanic in the 1990s. It was You Got Mail, all right? That was uh, Lori's. I had to throw that one in there because that's her fave, all right? That's her go-to. She will watch it again and again and again. If you haven't seen it, these are all, hey, it's Memorial Day weekend. Watch all the movies that you want to watch. So these are just some love stories. Now, 2000s anybody want to guess top love story out there notebook I heard notebook somewhere all right notebook it is notebook is the number one love story and it's still this day it's it's just a, a story of, of tragedy a story of sadness and a story of love and tears and and all that kind of stuff now now we're into the Tens are the, this decade that we're in right now, the 20s. What is the number one love story? And if you say anything with 50 or gray in it, I'm gonna throat punch you. That's um, not a love story. Uh, okay. So just figure it out. If you haven't heard of that, those, whatever. Uh, the the, the thing is, is that because we're in the middle of it, we don't know what is going to be the number one love story. But let me tell you what, I think one of the greatest love stories, uh, was on the screen last year was the movie wonder. How many of y'all have seen wonder? All right, man. I tell you what. Take a box of tissues and watch it. It's not the typical love story. It's not the man and the woman falling in love and 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 all of that. But it is a mother and a father loving a child unconditionally. It's a sibling who is jealous at the same time has to learn to love her sibling. And it's it's a, it's a brother dealing with a bullying and having to learn to love across the line. It's it's incredible story even the way it's told but get ready to cry but it has all those elements it has all the elements that a good love story has a good love story will have tragedy and triumph and and, and, and demise and it'll have so many different elements that that, that that will make it up it'll have loyalty and heartbreak and heart warmth it'll have all that but the story that we are talking about and we've been talking about through the book of romans has all of that the story that we're living in has that. The story of God and His love for us has that. And you think about the book of Romans, chapter 1 and following for the first three chapters, it's this tragedy of separation. And God made us, He made us in chapter 1 and it was all beautiful and it was good and He refers back to the created order. And then you have this fall of man and how we just continue to spiral down further and further and further away from God. And then you have this loyalty that comes out in the stories. Just again, like you see loyalty in a true love story through the tragedies of life, you you have loyalty that really marks it. When God justifies us, when God makes us right, when God accepts us with all of our flaws and he still loves us. It's a beautiful love story that is has unfolded. It has heartbreak. When, when Paul tries his best to live up to the law, but he can't live up to the law, he tries his best to, to live up to, to the standard, but he just can't quite get there. And it's going to be through the death of Christ that he's going to find this justification. So you have, you have heartbreak, you have heart warmth. Whenever you come and you turn from chapter 7 to chapter 8, you have this beautiful transition of, hey, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. So you have this, this sense of victory, the sense of victory lap, that, hey, there's this heartwarming God's connecting with us and we're, we're going to be okay in the end. But in every great love story, you will also find the word sacrifice, or you'll find the action of sacrifice, where there is a sacrificial act or acts or lifestyle that has to happen. And sacrifice is whenever I love you more than other things. I love you, and I'm willing to give up other things for you. I am willing to give up my dreams, my hopes, my desires for you, because I love you, because I'm willing to give up a part of myself. And whenever you read Romans chapter five verse eight, whenever we're not even loving God, you see Christ's sacrifice in love. You see Him whenever God commends His love toward us, God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners. We're not even pursuing God. We're not even. We we are so alienated from God. We're so head in the sand, so head in ourselves, so focused on ourselves. We have such tunnel vision. We're not even looking at God. And Christ is dying for us. It is God pursuing us. It's God initiating the relationship. It's this beautiful part of the story where Christ's sacrificial love is on display. But I'll tell you this. When you think about that, Romans chapter five verse eight, that God loves us and while we're here, and that's going to be an important verse as you come back next week. As we come next week, it's going to be what we call strategy meeting. Don't get lost in that phrase. We do them every year, but this year's theme is awaken, and we hope that God will awaken us to the power and the relevance of Romans chapter five verse eight in our life. To the point that we're going to present something next week that we hope that you will be awakened to and be a part of. But it ties back to Romans chapter five, verse eight. But that's next week. Let's talk about, continue to talk about this love relationship and this whole sacrifice. Cause any good love relationship is never like this. One person pouring into the other person. It's always like this where we're both giving we're both giving 100% of ourselves. We're both sacrificing. If I ever hear a couple come in and say, well, if I give 50 and they give 50, then we'll make it. That makes 100. No, no. If they give 50 and you give 50, that just cancels each other out. Okay? You need to give 100. They need to give 100. 100% of themselves. 100% of their goals and aspirations. 100%. Give it 100% of the time. And so what you have when Jesus makes his sacrifice... If a true love relationship is happening, we've got to sacrifice. Turn to Romans 12.1. Romans 12 is where we're going to be. We're going to finish up in Romans 12 today. We've been here for now three weeks. But it's such a powerful verse. And this is where we give our love, our show our love back to God, just as he sacrificially gave himself up on the cross. So now we show our love back to him in Romans chapter 12, verse one. I want us all to read this out loud together, okay? Because this is all of us, what all of us are supposed to be doing as Paul turns the page from talking about theology and what God did and the story unfolding. Now he turns and he goes, hey. I'm going to appeal to you. I'm going to call you out. This is what you're supposed to do. Because of the love relationship that God has established with you, this is what you're supposed to do in a love relationship back to him. Here it is. Read it with me. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This is the turning point. This is the hinge on which everything this is why worship is so central and, and, and centristic to everything that we believe is, is because whenever we center our life on him, and I not give a dead sacrifice, Jesus was the last dead sacrifice. He died. He spent, spilled his blood. Now what we give is a living sacrifice. We give ourselves. Every day of my life, every, every hour of my life is to be spent in offering it up to God. Every thought, every action, everything. Now, how does this whole love thing fit together? You've got to look at it from the whole. Again, we've been in Paul. I want us to get a broad view from even the Apostle John. But this is a theme in Apostle John. Now, you know John's writings. and John, John 3.16 is one that you know. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave. You know that verse. Jesus, gay. I mean, God, gay. He gave his son. We know that verse. We memorize that verse. So what? He gave. That's his first act of love. Now, what happens is how does that come from? How did? Why did God do that? Why did God demonstrate his love? Because the next verse that John writes up here in 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God. So if love, let's take love over here. And it's this, this, what I'm holding in my hand here. If God is love, whoever abides in love, in love, abides in God, okay? If this imaginary ball I have in my hand, if that is what love is, then, then I'm in Christ and then I'm a part of love and God abides in him. So it's this beautiful relationship where love is in me and I am in love and, love and I am in God and God is in me and there's this abiding going on, this connectedness going on, this forever relationship going on. And this is what I want to say to you. Very, listen very carefully. If, if, if love is hard for you, if love is a train wreck for you, if you have a hard time loving, it might be because you have a hard time relating to God. There may be static on the line when it comes to love. And it may be static on the line because there's static on the line in your relationship to God. Because if God is love and you're a part of God, then love's a part of you. Which then leads me to John 13, verse 35. Let's read it all together out loud. By this, all people will know, read it with me, that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And we've, we've read this verse. I ended last week's message on this verse. This is where Paul is leading us to this whole relationship thing, this whole story. In fact, if you remember, Paul's writing to the church at Rome. That's what we've been talking about since February. So we're talking about a church. We're talking about a family of believers of faith coming together. I'm going to broaden it today, and I'm going to talk about your marriage relationships. I'm going to talk about your child relationship. I'm going to talk about your team relationships. There's so many ways we can apply this. But really, in its truest, truest form, it's how do we relate as the church with one another? How are we loving one another well? How are we expressing the love of Christ in our relationships with one another? So we have given the context We're in Romans chapter 12, where we were last week. And we finished up last week, if you were with us, when we talked about spiritual gifts. And as we ended spiritual gifts, he then turns in the very next verse. He starts, Paul, in a matter of five verses, gives 13 Exhortations. Nowhere else in all of Paul's writings is so densely packaged. Thirteen exhortations. Now, there's not a lot of imperative commands in there. They're all participles, but they're all written in a form that gives us: "This is your instruction. This is your instruction. This is your instruction." Now, how can I share thirteen? points. Well, what I did is I sat there and looked at them and looked at them and studied them and said, okay, what am I seeing? I'm seeing patterns here. I'm seeing blocks here. I'm seeing, I'm seeing that basically I think what we can understand when we talk about this, we can see here, 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 and here. And what we look at is we're looking at love. And it's an interesting thing, this is brought out, that when you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and you read about the spiritual gifts which is the most exhaustive spiritual gifts of all in the New Testament. What does chapter 1 Corinthians 13 talk about? Love. It's the love chapter. What does Paul do when he ends up talking about the seven spiritual gifts at the end of chapter 12, verse 9, verse 8, excuse me, and he ends it. The very next verse, he starts talking about love. Love is what's going to come down to. In fact, what he says it, he says it very clearly. He says, I want you to understand this, that if you're going to have these spiritual gifts, you need to operate in these spiritual gifts and you need to let love be genuine. I like that phrase. But it presupposes something. That if there is genuine love, that must mean there is fake love. There is disingenuous love. There's phony love. Just like there's fake news out there, there's fake news and there's real news. Well, there's fake love and there's real love. What does real love look like? What does genuine love look like? What does authentic love look like? What what does non-hypocrisy love look like? What does love look like? Even Paul, whenever Paul was writing, again, to the Corinthians, he starts chapter 13 and he says this, If I speak to you in the tongues of men and of angels and I do not have love, I'm like a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. Basically, Paul said this, You can know your spiritual gifts... You can know your talents and your skills and you can have all, be so self-aware of yourself that you have yourself all night, nice and neatly packaged. But guess what? If you don't have love, you're just a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. And so what Paul turns around and says, listen, you can have all your spiritual gifts, but you better have genuine love for each other in the room, each other in your life. So what does genuine love look like? I didn't say what does genuine love feel like. That's what the Hollywood version tells us. You're going to feel this way, and when you feel this way, you do this thing. When you feel this way, then you should do this. When you, It's kind of this cause effect, but the cause is, is that you feel, so therefore the effect is you do. I want to throw that paradigm out the window. I want you to write this down. It always, it's always, it's always better to act your way into a feeling than to feel your way into an action. It's always better to act your way into a feeling than to feel your way into an action. Because I promise you, you're going to have people in your life, in fact, they may be in your life right now. That you work with, you live with, you're married to, you're whatever the case may be. Fill in all those blanks. You go to church with them. That, that as, as you live out and you go life with them, you don't feel like you love them. But if, guess what? If you will act your way, if you will do what is right, you will find that the feeling will come. There will be times in the course of a marriage of 25, 30, 60 years, whatever, that I guarantee you they went dry, dark, lonely hours on a road together and it felt like they were going nowhere. There will be times that you're at a church and there's trauma and there's trials and there's whatever. And you'll think, oh, I'm just going to go down the street because that church does not have any problems. Problems are going to be there as soon as you get there. But hey, th- th- don't don't worry about that. The problems exist because people exist. But what is beautiful is when love will go the distance and you act your way into a feeling. Even Jesus says said this, if you love me, you're going to feel a certain way. No if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. If you love me, you'll obey me. You act your way into a feeling, and all of a sudden, when you start obeying what God has told you to do and stop what he's told you to stop and honor what he's told you to honor and give what he's told you to give, all of a sudden, you're going to find, God, this is a pretty good deal. God, you've taken care of me. God, you met needs that I didn't even know I had. God, you you took you took things further than I God, you did you filled in the blanks and I didn't even know there were blanks out there. Because you were obedient, God was able to bless you. God was able to do something in your life. God was able to mend something, and, uh, mend a fence. Listen, love is going to be a key, but love is not going to be a feeling. Love is going to be something that we do, something that we put in place, something that we act upon. And you've got to get this down. This is just those life principles for you. If we love well, we will live well. If you love well, you'll live well. But if you don't love well, if your love is a disaster, if your love is conditional, if your love is circumstantial, if you're, guess what? You're going to be in and out of love. You're going to have broken heart. You're going you're gonna to have broken dreams. You're going to have broken expectations. And you're going to, it's going to be, a, if we learn to love well, we'll live well. Let's look at the passage at, at, in the whole, not in, in part. Verse 9, this is where he starts. Let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. Abhor, abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. And then he's going to start into some one another's. And we're going to see, I want you to circle them because every time we come to them, because that's one of the major values of our church or our one another relationships, I'm always going to point them out and you're going to circle them. Love one another. It's, one, it's the most common of all of the one another's. Verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another. We'll come back and talk about that one in a moment. In showing honor, do not be slothful in zeal. Listen, if you're in a love relationship, don't be lazy in love. Be fervent, be zealous in that love, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality, bless those who persecute you and bless those who do not curse and do not curse them rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. live in harmony with one another another one do not be haughty but associate with the lowly never be wise in your own sight that kind of goes back to the verse that we read last week talked about being sober in judgment verse uh, three of this chapter Cir- uh, circle that as a cross-reference Repay no evil for evil, but, do, uh, uh, but give thought to, to do what is honorable in the sight of all, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty... Give him something to drink. For by this doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, that sounds like fun, right? To, the, to your enemy? We'll come to that in a moment. But listen to this last verse. Because you know what the, the the natural mind just interpreted that verse 20 to be cannot be true when you look at verse 21. Do not overcome do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. How is it that we are to love genuine? There's four rules to love. I dare say that you will not find these displayed in our American society very often. So look closely, look deeply, and measure yourself off of them. Number one is there is an insatiably ins- ins- you are incessantly, excuse me, you are incessantly pure in your love. Now, I think we all know people who are incessantly right, okay? You can't ever win an argument because they always have the answer to the argument. Uh, you know, they're bulldogish. Uh, you you can't get a word in edge-wise. They always have to have the last word. The incessantly right people, n- no fun to be with. Incessantly clean people, okay? If you're a clean freak, you're germaphobe, whatever my case may be, you're hard to be around, okay? Because Well, you're funny to be around to watch you get all nervous and and twitchy. Uh, But incessantly pure. Incessantly pure is a person who says, listen, I don't want dirt in my life. I don't want filth in my life. I don't want sin in my life. I don't want to do anything, allow anything in my life that would hinder my relationship with God. That would come between My relationship with God that would hinder a love relationship that I have in my life. And you can think about, again, apply it as many ways as you want. He's talking to the church. I'm going to give you some other ways that we can apply it. You can apply it to your marriage. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse four, it says, marriage should be honorable by all and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexual immoral, sexually immoral your personal life? You need to think about your personal life. Has my personal life, am I walking in the purity of my heart? Am I walking the way I should? Is there unconfessed, unrepented of sin? Doesn't mean I'm perfect, but am I living harboring sin when I should be abhorring sin? Think about it like that. He says in Ephesians chapter one, verse four, as he chose us in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should, this is the reason he chose us, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So literally, God chose you to be holy. He chose you for that very purpose. Think about it. Is there any area in my life that needs to be corrected, right-sized, put in, in, in right order? My attitude, my thoughts, my words, my conversations. Think about it. Also, what about church community? church community. We need to, as a church, as a body of Christ, we need to realize so that he might present, it says in Ephesians 5, 27, this is why he gave spiritual gifts to the church. By the way, this is the the passage so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle. Now it doesn't mean there's a perfect church. But it does mean that we're not living in unconfessed, unrepentant of sin. That she might be holy and without blemish. Authenticity, not hypocrisy, not cheap love, not inauthenticity. We ought to be marked by that. Do we harbor sin or to do we abhor sin? Think about it. When you look here at this passage, he says, abhor, abhor hate it. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. This is a gut check time. This is a soul check time. Well, we have to look inside. Does my love, does it pure and right and holy? My relationships in my church, my relationships in my life, my marriage, my marriage bed, my thought life, am I harboring sin or am I abhorring sin? It's a big difference. Sound sounds an awful lot alike, but there's a huge difference. It's like water. Water can give life or take life. You don't have enough of this in a day, you're going to die. Your body is mainly water. You, you take too much of this in, you're going to die because you're not meant to have that much in your lungs. This is a $2 bottle of water from Fiji, okay? You ought to be impressed, right? I think I'm stupid for putting $2 on it. But this came from Fiji. I even looked it up. It even tells you the volcano it came from. Okay? Now, think about that for just a moment. This is water from Fiji that I paid $2 for, that it shipped around the world to come here to get in our convenience store so I could spend $2 on water that I could go to the tap and get for free. How insane is that? But what's even more insane, that even though this is Fiji water, if you were in Fiji, you cannot drink the water. Literally true. This is what one travel website said about the Fiji water. The World Nomad website said it is not recommended that you drink from the tap water of Fiji. What they have found in the tap water in Fiji are shells, frogs, and invisible typhoid, and gastroenteritis, whatever, bacteria. Anything with gas and titus at the end of it is not going to be a good combination. Especially if you put bacteria on the last word. But that's what you get when you drink the water in Fiji or you can get it in the store. What happens is I'm trying to draw the parallel is water gives life or it takes life. Relationships can either give life or they can take life. You ever been a part of a toxic relationship? A brokenness of that? Beware. If we love well, we'll live well. If we do not love well, we will live in a toxic world. There needs to be a ceaseless bonds. I mean, the word order of this is so important ceaseless bonds. We are bound together and never to be broken. We think about that in marriage, we get that instructions. But what about, what about as it relates to the church? Is it one of those things that we just kind of jump in and jump out of a church, jump into that church, jump out? We say at our North Point New Members class that church membership is a commitment and a calling, not a convenience and a choice. I'm afraid some people have turned belonging to a church into some kind of fanboy kind of club. Now, when I talk about fanboys, I'm talking about like the Golden State Warriors of NBA basketball nowadays. Now, I couldn't even have told you a few years ago where the Golden State Warriors were until they got this guy playing basketball for them, and they started winning national championships, and now you see everybody out wearing the Golden State Warrior uh, outfit. But I guarantee you most of the people a few years back couldn't. But now they're fanboys uh, of Curry in in the game. But what am I trying to say? A lot of people will, again, be committed to a church in that kind of way, be committed to a relationship in that kind of way. As long as things are good, I'm in. As long as things are bad, I'm looking elsewhere. That's not healthy. I loved it last week whenever I pitched it out to you of our essential ministries. And we said, hey, listen, are you ready to explore your spiritual gifts, experiment with your spiritual gifts? 21 people said, yes, I'm ready. Nine or 11 of them are already in process right now this week of saying, hey, I am ready. Now, are you ready to be a part, commit? to being in a part of this family and this relationship. Because when Paul's talking about the church, he's talking about one another relationships. And one another relationships is not, hey, dial it in, or hey, check in when you can, or hey, fanboy the church and just hang out. No, no, no. He's talking about a commitment. Commitment so so much so that he's going to use one another. He's going to love one another. Listen, I want to love, I want to one another brother who's going to stick with me through thick and thin, not love me when I'm good and and cast me off when I'm bad. I like the next phrase, uh, outdo one another. That's my favorite out of all of the one another's. What if we went into our relationships with one another and it was our goal to outdo the other person by honoring them? I want to honor you. No, I want to honor you. No, I want to honor you. Versus what's in it for me, what's in it for me, what's in it for me? What if our marriages were like that? Hey, you know what? How can I honor them more than they honor me? You know, you would not have the toxicity of selfishness in a marriage, in a church, in any kind of relationship if we took the one another relationships to this level where I'm just going to outdo my honoring you, my one another. I like this verse, verse 12. It goes on and kind of gives us a, a... a a kind of a span of what this boundless, ceaseless commitment looks like. And he says in verse 12, it says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation. He gives the whole spectrum. So you take this into the stage and you call this, okay, we'll call this the rejoice in hope corner. This is when things are good. This is when things are positive. This is when things are moving up to the right. This end of the stage what do you do in times of tribulation? I bail, look for a better offer, want to go somewhere else, want to find a better relationship, want to find a better pastor, want to find a better church, want to find a better want to, want to, No, you're patient here in tribulation. The spectrum is, and here's the question you've got to ask, everyone wants to be here, but sometimes you're here. What are you going to do when you're here? It's not always easy. In your marriage, where are you in the spectrum? Are you rejoicing in hope right now? Or are you being patient in tribulation? The spectrum. See, a ceaseless bond, they, they don't see any end to it. Well, one of the things you do in, 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 in a marriage ceremony is I, t- I take the ring. And I say, this ring has no end. It has no end. So when you put that on, there's no end to this covenant that you make with one another. The great thing is, is that if we would learn as a church and we would do one another's well, I mean, we're honoring one another more than the other person's honoring us. We're going to get in this kind of, I'm going to out love you. I'm going to out serve you. I'm going to out give to you. I'm going to do more than you're going to do because I want to honor you. That is a mentality that just blows my mind because you don't see it. I read a book before starting Grace Point uh, that a missionary on the field gave me. And it was the most global study. I'd never seen anything like it. And I'm a person who loves to look at research. I'm like, I'm a nerd that way. I, to this day, have not seen a more exhaustive research than this research on healthy churches. They studied 1,000 churches in 32 countries on five continents. They got back 4.2 million responses. And their goal was to ask the question, what does a healthy church look like in Sudan? In South Africa, in South America, in Russia, in all over the world, what does a healthy church look like? And they came out with eight essentials to a healthy church. And you know what number eight is? How well they love each other. If the church is divided, if the church doesn't love each other, it goes on, growing churches possess on average a measurably higher love quote than the stagnant or declining ones. And the next, very next paragraph, it even references that they do one another's in their relationships. Blew my mind this week. As I went back and revisited that. Why did it blow my mind? Because I knew it. I felt it. I like, come back to the research. that Listen, you want to know what a healthy church looks like? It knows how to love one another well. Listen, if we love well, we will live well. Number three costly compassion not going to be easy and it's not listen a lot of people get off when it starts costing a lot of people get out of a relationship when it starts costing them getting out of a relationship is not an odd cost is a part of a relationship verse 13 look at verse 13 he says contribute to the needs of the saints this is why i know he's talking about the church because he refers to the saints contribute to the needs of the saints Be generous to the needs of the church. Be generous giving financially to whatever there is. The word contribute literally is the word koinonia, which is an interesting word because it means fellowship so many other times. And so as I was reading commentaries on it, it really was referring to the fact that we all come together. We all contribute together. It's a together thing. It's not one person underwriting the whole. It's all of us coming together. To be generous to the needs of the church. But it's not just financial. It is financial, but it's not just financial. Look at verse 15. Don't miss this one. It's not just financial, it's also emotional. Verse 15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those who weep. My friends, I cannot spend enough time talking about this. There's a difference between sympathy and empathy. And here's it lived out. Sympathy is the one that wants to come in and have all the answers to all of life's problems and say, I want to help you. And and you listen, I'm understanding. I'm going to give you answers and solutions. And they can't sit in a room when somebody just was diagnosed with cancer and just sit there and be quiet. And just, just be, just be, just be there. And just weep with them empathy is that ability to be with somebody not just physically but to be with them emotionally where you can literally be a part of the situation the grieving the hurting the pain the sorrow that that person is going through and you're fine with just being there and guess what that person who's hurting is probably would rather you do less of this and more just being just be present Weep with those who are weeping. Rejoice with those who are rejoicing. How can you be a part of being that person in their their life that makes that level of difference? Brene Brown has probably written more on this than anybody else. She said, empathy can be conveyed without speaking a word. It just takes looking into someone's eyes and seeing yourself reflected back. I like that. Just being there. When you have a real love relationship, you just need sometimes people to just be there. And when, you have, when you're good at love, you're okay with just being there. Sometimes Lori says, don't give me answers, just be there. That's what empathy is. And that's costly because it requires time. It requires energy. It requires parts of you where you just soon write a check you just soon give the answers and walk out of the room. doesn't work that way in a real love relationship. If we love well, we'll live well. Number four, and I'm finished, peaceful resolute. There's a peaceful resolution inside of you that you're not going to let tension remain you're not going to let unresolved conflict you're not going to talk about them you're going to talk to them you're not going to sweep things under the rug you're not going to hide things in the closet you're going to deal with the issues and that's hard it's a lot easier to walk away and talk about them it's a lot easier to be negative inside i don't love that person i can't even this room's not big enough for me and that person I think somebody wise said this. It's always better to act your way into a feeling rather than feel your way into an action. Do it. Do what's right. Do you realize out of all of this passage of scripture that I just read, half of it Paul deals with conflict resolution? Let's read it. When you look here, he tells us beginning in verse 17, he says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to them in honorable, what is honorable in the sight of all. So don't do anything behind their back that you won't do in their face, that you wouldn't do in public, that your one another brother wouldn't say, hey, that's a good, wise move. If you can't do it in the open, don't do it in the private. Honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, I know that it puts a lot of burden on you because in a relationship when there's tension, there's two people and I can only control me. I can't do anything about them. But what he's saying, everything you can do bring the very best to the table, bring the vulnerability, the transparency, the honesty, bring humility, and if they accept it, they accept it. If they don't, they don't. It's on them. You do everything you can do to be at peace with them. And by the way, Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, says the mark of a child of God, the mark of a child of God, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And I can't skip over this verse. Verse 19 and following. Beloved, never avenge yourself. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. I want to get even. I want to even the score. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, right? To the wrath of God. For vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, this is how we're supposed to be. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Now notice the reaction. Notice what's going to happen. For by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Sounds like fun to me. It's not what it sounds like. He's quoting from Proverbs chapter 25, verse 21 and 22. So you have to go to the Old Testament to understand it. And then if you go to Proverbs 25, you'll understand that he's actually referring back to an Egyptian. F.F. Bruce brings this out. An Egyptian practice that when somebody was found guilty, they would walk around with coal on their head as a symbol of I was wrong, I am wrong, I was wrong. It's kind of a humiliating thing when you see somebody walking around with coal on their head. Because it glares, this person is guilty. Well, what happens whenever you take the high road and they're still taking the low road, what happens is they begin to see that, you know what, that person's better than me. Now, whether they will ever admit it or not, whether they will ever confess that or not. So you think about your marriage relationship. You think about the conflict you have in your life on the job at work. What if you took the high road and you gave instead of took? You gave instead of demanded. You gave. You you can't do anything about what they do. But you can only do what you can do. You can't control whether or not they love you back, but we're not told to control that. Differentiation is me being okay even when the other person is not okay. I need to do what I need to do. And what I need to do is I need to love them. And what they do with my love, it's up to them. Means I don't have to stay in an abusive relationship? No, you don't have to stay in an abusive relationship. But I need to love and I need to show love and I need to give love. If I love well, we will live well. I will live at peace even if the other person has to walk around with the coals on their head. 13th century Spanish missionary, Raymond Lowell. He's a missionary to the Muslims of North Africa. 13th century said this simple statement, and I think it's true. He who loves not, lives not. He who loves not, lives not. I think it reinforces this statement that if we love well, we will live well. Would you just bow your heads with me for a few moments? I have to think in a room this size, there's probably a number of people who have a number of people in their life that there's a fractured relationship with. If you love genuinely, you love well, you will figure out how to love well, even if they never love you back. I'm not advocating staying in abusive relationships. I'm advocating you giving grace. You giving kindness. You taking the high road. It may mean confrontation. I need to have a hard conversation with someone. But I will do it in love. And right now, some of you got that person at the front of your mind. And it's the furthest thing from what you want to do. And there's so much to unpack in this. But it's what genuine love looks like. It abhors evil. It is this costly compassion. It's also this incredible ability to reconcile and be reconciled. I want you to take a few moments and just you and the Lord just do business together right now with that relationship. Father, You know our hearts. We can't escape the still small voice of God. Whether it's a broken relationship or it's an impurity that we've allowed to creep into our own minds and thoughts and life to where no longer can we look incessantly pure on our relationships. We've allowed dirt and debris to creep in. Lord, maybe we're holding back and you're telling us to honor, go out of our way, honor over and above the other person who we're wanting honor from. Father, how can we love well? Help us to love well. And stop putting the expectations on the other person And make sure we're living at the highest expectation ourselves. Lord, we thank you for this time. Because you loved us, we can love others. Because we love others, we can love them well. May we do that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand worship with us.